Coming up on Chasing Natty, we recap week seven and discuss prime targets for you on the waiver wire while breaking down games from this past weekend. All this and more on Chasing the Natty. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome back to Chasing the Natty Podcast, a college football fantasy podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Hood. Alongside me is my co-host, Jared. On today's episode, we will be recapping week seven of the college football season and discussing waiver wire winners and losers, and then we'll break down some of the games we saw this past weekend. So without further ado, we'll get started. How are you doing, Jared? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm about to embarrass the crap out of you here, Xavier, because um, oh, I don't I know. know. I know you saw. I, 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 know I would you say, saw. I don't think you know that I can see you, but uh, y'all, oh, I no, think Xavier I, I must have been so feeling. so proud of himself on that opening because we go we go into the opening and all of a sudden this is why you should watch on YouTube because I'm about to do what Xavier just did. He's over here going, yeah, yeah. like. I, it took me three tries. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It did. It did. But even so, that was so funny for me to see that. Anyway, uh, now that I'm embarrassed, Savior, uh, as I am wanting to do every single week, uh, including in fantasy this past week, uh, beat oh, you okay. once again. Uh, y'all, I have a winning record against Xavier for the first time in our home league, and it feels sweet. I'm, I'm not, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what to do with my hands. It's great. Um Anyway, we got a lot to cover from this past week and uh, not a lot of time. So, Xavier, unless you got anything you want to say, or um, actually, I'll say a few things before we get started, but I'll let you go first. Uh, anything you want to say before we get started? No, I'm ready to get all into this. Uh, what did you have to say? Uh, I'm just going to remind everybody out there to please make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Make sure you're following us on all of our Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any uh, podcast platform that you are listening to us. We always enjoy those five-star reviews you can leave on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please make sure you leave all your thoughts and stuff down below in the comment section. Uh, in addition, if you go onto my Twitter page, I have a uh, questionnaire up for any way that you want us to improve the show. We love hearing from you guys, and you will see a few tiny things I changed for tonight um, when it comes to the waiver wires uh, presentation and everything for our video product. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, it came directly from you guys. I heard a couple. Of, I heard the same thing from a couple people, and it sounded like that's what y'all wanted. So. I am here to deliver. With that, yeah, let's get started on this. Um, so we'll go yeah, ahead and absolutely. let's get up and hit up our waiver wire QBs and bada bing, we got pictures now. So, uh, yeah, a couple of y'all recommended that on for the YouTube product, and honestly, I'm I'm very happy with what I see here so far. So, um, Xavier, would you like to start or me to start for waiver wire QBs? Oh, I could start with QBs. Uh, okay. You know, we'll go relatively fast because you know we got a we have a deadline. So we'll start off with Seth Hennigan of Memphis, uh, owned on 32% of rosters. Yeah, QB1 for Memphis, uh, freshman Seth Hennigan uh, is having a a good season so far. They're winning games. Sometimes there's up and down games, but that's just understandable because he is a freshman. He is learning the offense, but he's he's getting better each and each week. Um, This past week, who did they play? Uh, They played Uh, Navy. They played Navy. So it wasn't, uh, you know, 
You've had you had a good uh, a few good uh, passes. Uh, a lot of uh, Calvin Austin got work in the run game and the receiving game. Sean Dykes is getting a lot more work from Seth Hennigan at the QB, and even uh, Javon Ivory's the next man up that we're all presuming to be good for uh, Memphis once Calvin Austin leaves for the draft, presumably this year. So I think everybody should go out there, and Seth Hennigan should be definitely off of you know above forty percent for this past week and for the rest of the season because it's only going to get better. And uh, honestly, it's getting to that point in the season where it's really, really hard to find quality quarterbacks uh, left in any league. So Seth Hennigan is definitely number one on the list. Well, I'm going to throw out, you're, again, you're talking about it's only going to get better and better for him. Let me throw out his remaining schedule for you. UCF, 56 against the pass. SMU, 96 against the pass. ECU, 130, or 123rd against the pass. Houston, 7th against the pass. Don't start him that week. Um, Tulane, 115th against the pass. Those are four out of his remaining five games are 50th or worse in defending the pass. And I'm not entirely sure that UCF is even that good against the pass. So, yeah, he's got a lot of great opportunities in these upcoming weeks. I absolutely expect him to go off. We'll go ahead and move on to our next QB. Xavier, why don't you introduce him? Yes, uh, Frank Harris out of UTSA on 32% of the rosters. I know we had him on our show last week. Um, only at 32% now. So he's getting up there to 40%. I understand some people's concerns about with UTSA. They're undefeated. They're doing well with Frank Harris. When Frank Harris and the game script is allowing for him to throw the ball, he could put up really good, like, top 15 QB numbers. Mm-hmm. But UTSA, they're, it's a football team. They're, their main goal is to win the game. So they have an, a great, great running back in Sincere McCormick. So if the game strip just allows for Sincere to run, then there's no need for – uh, Frank Harris to throw over 20 times a game. Well, so, then I, I will say this. I think, oh, I was going to say, and, and the games that he does throw over maybe 20 to 25 plus attempts, that's when he, uh, Frank Harris is his most valuable. So I think it's just depending on the matchups that Frank Harris plays. If he's play, playing a tough uh, defense against the run, I would suggest starting Frank Harris because he's that good of a quarterback with his legs and his arm. So I definitely would advocate to pick up Frank Harris, and he should be over 40%. I would say this. Um, it's a good thing that Frank Harris is uh, one of the better dual-threat QBs that we have right now. Um, yeah. He absolutely can take off and run. And again, I agree with you 100% about Sincere McCormick. They got a great running back there. They're not going to want Frank Harris to run the ball. But he gets some design QB runs almost every single game, especially when they get down near that goal line. That's where a lot of his value comes in. And... Once again, I'm just going to lay out the schedule here. I don't have the I don't have the uh, defensive rankings here, but even still, LA Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss, UAB. That's going to be a harder one. But North yeah. Texas, those all are great passing defenses, except for UAB. Those are all great um, matchups, I think, for Frank Harris going forward. So we'll go ahead and move on to our next quarterback here, and Xavier, go ahead. Yeah, Garrett Schrader out of Syracuse. Uh, you know, it's one of uh, Jared's uh, unknown. Uh, he was uh, had him as uh, one of his players to, you know, kind of be a gem this season. You know, just if he if uh, Garrett Schrader was uh, were to get the starting job, which it looked like he has, and against Clemson, he didn't look that great. I di- didn't pick him up for that reason because I was like, I still hold Clemson's defense in highest regards to where I, th- I think they're good enough in the ACC to stop, uh, you know, opposing offenses just and have them to maybe not have their best of days. But for the rest of the season, I do like Garrett Schrader because with his rushing ability. And, you know, maybe not so much on his arm, but he still can throw maybe one or two touchdowns. But it's really all his value is in his rushing ability. He's running for – it's it's really ast- astonishing to where there's games where him and Sean Tucker look both like running backs on the um, on the running back depth chart or in this box score where it's like, man, two guys ran over 100 yards, had like 26 carries apiece, 
And Garrett Trader is honestly just the running back, just playing quarterback at this point. I think that's where his value lies. I think for the rest of the year, it's definitely a good shout to take on him to where especially a lot of those goal line, a lot of those uh, QB design runs that Syracuse is running for him. So, uh, yeah, Garrett Trader, 17%. I should definitely see an increase. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't go over 40 and we have him on next week. But, uh, you know, as more and more consistency happens, then we'll see him go up to above 40. Garrett Trader in his starts for Syracuse this year, has averaged 29.26 points and has faced some pretty tough competition. Again, didn't look the greatest against Syracuse, but or against Syracuse, against Clemson. Um, but say what you will about Clemson this year and everything, that defense is still probably one of the best in the country, even with all their injuries. So I'm not going to knock anybody for not looking great against Clemson's defense. Um, so like I said, he's averaging 29.26 points when he is starting full-time. Uh, his average on fan tracks is dipped below that because he got some plays in some other games. So it's a little hard to read there. Um, the only thing is I don't love the upcoming schedule for him, but he also plays in the ACC. So it's one of these things where you never know which game is going to be an absolute shootout. Uh, upcoming, he has Virginia Tech, Boston College, Louisville, NC State, Pitt. Any of the, the uh, in terms of like how high scoring those games are going to be, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to y'all. It could be a crapshoot every single one of those games. Uh, probably the only one I feel good about it being a, tr- a true shootout is probably Louisville. Everything else, those defenses just show up some weeks, some weeks they don't. Um, so yeah, I like Gary Schrader. Like Xavier said, I mentioned him on the Campus Again podcast very early on. They asked me for like a super deep sleeper, and I believe Austin uh, didn't even know. Who Garrett? He's like he's like I didn't even know who Garrett Schrader was. He, he's like you went that deep, and I'm like you know what? I really like the idea of if he starts, he can really bring a new dynamic to the Syracuse offense, and looks like he will be the starter going forward because uh, Tommy DeVito entered the transfer portal this week, so we don't have to worry about uh, Garrett Schrader getting benched for him anytime soon. So we'll go ahead and move on to our next quarterback, Xavier. Who do we got? Yeah, Cameron Rising out of Utah, owned on four percent of leagues. Um, yeah, it's with um, got it. Why am I forgetting his name? Uh, the guy Charlie that transferred. Brewer. Charlie Brewer, with him transferring out, Cameron Rising, uh, Rising the freshman, um, comes in for Utah. He was Mr. Utah uh, in high school, a four- or five-star QB. And so far, he's been getting better and better each week that he's had a start ever since uh, Charlie Brewer leaving. Mm-hmm. And this past game against Arizona State, he had a good game. Um, you know, it was kind of relying on the run game a little bit, but I think each week he's going to get better. And, like, having a starting QB in the Pac-12, being so young and having all that talent and being that high, like, you know, highly recruited, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good guy to go pick up if you're uh, struggling in some leagues at QB and you just need a guy that, Hey, if he goes off, then it's going to pay off, especially going against a lot of those PAC 12 teams where they're just putrid at defense. If they still have like uh, Arizona still left on their schedule, if I, I probably think they already played Arizona, but uh, I know they have some easy defenses to go against. So I think Cameron rising has a lot of opportunity here put up points yeah no, absolutely and again the thing that stuck out to me first of all he is a dual threat quarterback uh they do have some design qb runs in there for him so you're gonna get some points off of that but in addition to that last two games he's been starting uh basically 30 points each i believe one he got like 29 the other one he got 31 i'm just gonna say that's basically two 30 point games right there for you um so again this is him having a dual threat ability he's this offense looks different with him out there uh utah coming out of that bye week looks really good um again their game against arizona state was very very impressive we'll talk about that a little bit later um so yeah i think cameron rising is absolutely a guy to just grab 
probably bench him for maybe a week, maybe two, just to see if he continue, like, uh, continues his success. Uh, but even still, it's definitely not a guy that you're going to want to feel like you were too late on. So Cameron Rising, Utah, absolutely go, go out and get him. Yeah. We'll move on to our last quarterback here, Xavier. Who is our guy? Yeah, we have Anthony Richardson out of uh, Florida on the 21% of rosters. Yeah, I have a few thoughts, but I'll go through them quick. Um, it's not a Caleb Williams situation, people. I don't want people to make an assumption. You know, I know a lot of people this past week that jumped on the waiver wire. I was one of those lucky hopefuls to grab Caleb Williams in our home league because I knew that he would be starting and I was number one on the waiver wire. So that made me crap my pants. And not going to lie. Yeah, so I was I – was, I was really excited to get him, but Anthony Richardson is not that type of QB that where he's going to replace Emory Jones and everything's magically going to get better. We've seen Anthony Richardson go out there in games to where he, we've seen enough of game film where teams know what to do against him. He's still a great quarterback for the future. I think Florida has a special talent in him. And it's going to take time for him to develop. But right now for this season, it's I'm going to be a little bit hesitant about him because it looks like Dan Mullen is still – loyal to Emory Jones in some of these games. Now, I think the biggest test and I think the biggest question mark we're going to see is who's going to start against Georgia in the, uh, after this bye week. And if it is Anthony Richardson, then I think Dan Mullen will fully have given up on Emory Jones and it'll be Richardson for the rest of the season. And I think Richardson will be able to put up points, maybe not, especially not against Georgia that as much as we think it's going to be. But after that, I, I don't know who else in their schedule is really going to challenge them. So it might be a good situation for Richardson to, uh, you know, put up a lot of points, put up a lot more, uh, have some more reps uh, in game and, and maybe go off for a few games because he has that dual threat ability. So definitely, you know, 21%, I understand, but it's just uh, it's just a hesitant because right now it looks like they're having a two QB system and obviously you can't have that in college football anymore. So there's going to have to be some decisions made down the line. And hopefully if you are one of those people that have Anthony Richardson, it will end up being him. So Xavier, I understand everything you're coming from in terms of just uh, in terms of just a football mindset. Here's the thing that people are loving about Anthony Richardson in the games where he has gotten extended looks um, and has been actually allowed to play against Florida Atlantic, against Southern Florida, against LSU. In those games, 23 points, 31 points, 30 points. Those are games where he played half the snaps. So yeah. people are looking at that and saying, oh my God, can you imagine what this kid can do when he's allowed to play a full game? And I don't blame people. And that's why I have oh, no. him on this list. This is an upside pick of the highest orders. Again, you're right, Xavier. It may not be Anthony Richardson starting against Georgia, but let's all be real. He's either going to be starting at Florida in the near future or he'll be starting somewhere else. And regardless, he's going to be somebody that you're going to be wanting. So I say absolutely pick up Anthony Richardson uh, especially if for some reason he's a, available in your dynasty league, what are y'all doing? Yeah. Uh, all right, those are our quarterbacks for this week. Uh, just a review for you guys, Avery, if you want to list off these names real quick. Yeah, we have Seth Hennigan out of Memphis, then we have Frank Harris out of UTSA, Garrett Schrader, uh, for Syracuse, Cameron Rising, Utah, and Anthony Richardson, Florida. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our waiver wire running backs of the week. Let me just write down something real quick, and I will get started with this. Um, this is my favorite, or actually, I got two favorite running backs of the week. Like these are the the, the first two you guys are going to see here are the two that I am the most solid on for this week. First one is Travis Dye, Oregon. Uh, C.J. Verdell goes down out for the rest of the season. Terrible news for Duck fans, and. 
I'll be honest, I was questioning uh, whether or not tried, uh, Travis Dye would be able to take on the full load once uh, Ferdell would go down. I was afraid that they were going to try to bring up some of their younger guys. But no, it looks like Travis Dye will be that number easily that number one running back when we be getting a majority of the carries for Oregon going forward. And the best part about it is he gets so many receptions out of that backfield as well. He is a true... I almost said dual threat running back, but honestly, I don't know what else to say. It like he's a receiving back and a power back that can absolutely take you down on the ground and through the air. I like what I can see out of Travis Dye going forward, so absolutely pick him up if you have him available in your league. Xavier, you got any thoughts on Mr. Dye? Uh, no, I think you hit all the points where I was going to hit with CJL. I think Travis Dye, we both had in our regards that we thought Travis Dye was the better back um, mm-hmm. in terms of ability and what he could have, uh, you know, added to the offense. But C.J. Verdell had a great season, uh, you know, early on and before the injury and kind of proved us a little bit wrong. But now that he's out, it's Travis Dye's team to uh, go and lead the rest of the season in the Pac-12 because right now the passing game doesn't look too good with Anthony Brown Jr. So Travis Dye's about to get a lot of work. Yep, absolutely. Go ahead and move on to our second running back of the day. And this is Mr. Bryce Williams out of Minnesota. This was one I did not see coming. Nobody saw it coming. Everybody was kind of debating as the week went on. Treshawn Potts, out for the year, it looks like. Who is Minnesota going to go to? And I was on the Kai Thomas train. I know a lot of other people were on the Marquise Irvin uh, train. There was a lot of people saying that. I I personally didn't think Irving would be able to do well because I saw him more of a third down back. Turns out we were all wrong. Bryce Williams got the majority of carries against Nebraska this past week. He had 17. I believe the, the second person had around seven. So it looks like Bryce Williams is kind of taking over that number one role there. Y'all, we've said it many times, Bo Ibrahim, Treshawn Potts, the number one running back for Minnesota is a gold mine in terms of volume. Pick him up. 1% of leagues, Bryce Williams is owned in. I guarantee you, if you go to your waiver wire right now, Bryce Williams is there, and he's going to fly under the radar for a lot of people because he's not there at the top of the list whenever you see guys that are uh, averaging the most points per game or just the most points this season. Remember to look for this man. Bryce Williams. Xavier, what are your thoughts? I'll say this. For now, absolutely pick up Bryce Williams. But I will say with the workload that Minnesota is doing on their running backs, I think they're going to have to take a look at their entire program in their running back room and say, hey, maybe we're putting too much in our running backs. Mm, I'm going to disagree because Treshawn Potts, that was a whole that, – that had nothing to do with his workload or anything. There, were, there was a freak medical uh, thing going on there. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like that – like, uh, and then uh, Mo Ibrahim tears his uh, Achilles. That's, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, that's really an indictment, really, on the carries. It's more of just a free thing that happened. He landed on his foot. Yeah, wrong. We, we will see. I mean, uh, for now, Bryce Williams does look like to be that number one guy. Uh, they do, you know, rely whoever has that best week. Then they just carry on with the high hand. But I will say, with uh, Otman Bell coming back and the passing game looking a little bit more better, then maybe there will be less opportunities. But at the same time, this is saying for a Minnesota running back, less opportunities means, oh, yeah, instead of 30 attempts, you'll just get more like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. So still a good uh, pickup, especially on one percent of leagues. So definitely he should uh, shoot up just like Caleb Williams did last week. Absolutely. Go ahead and move on to our next running back here. And that's another Williams. we got Mr. Charles Williams, running back out of UNLV. Uh, Kind of left him for dead these last two weeks because he had two single-digit games. And then all of a sudden, he comes out against uh, uh, Utah State. Uh, You know, just runs for 40 points. Uh, Just absolutely dominates the Utah State defense. And so I'm not saying Charles Williams is going to be an every-week starter for you likely going forward. There's very rarely this late into the season you're going to find that guy. 
But even still, Charles Williams is a matchup dude because, again, when he can go up against a softer defense, he's going to get that volume, and he's absolutely going to get you those points. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Charles Williams? Yeah, like like you said, I think he's definitely a matchup uh, type of running back, depending on the week that he's going against. I mean, the week that he had duds, he faced some really good defenses. Utah, um, he went against UTSA, Iowa State, Arizona State. So, and then, but the weeks that he did not play those teams, he went off for twenty five plus. So now that he's getting back into his um his uh, conference play, I mean, you have San Jose, Nevada, New Mexico, Hawaii, San Diego, and Air Force. I think. Maybe not, uh, I'm not expecting like, you know, 40 point performances, but I think I can have, uh, you know, some hope for 20 plus. So I think definitely Charles Williams is a guy to go after at this point in the season. Very good. Appreciate you breaking down the schedule like that. Um, so we'll go ahead and move on to our fourth running back of the day here. And that is going to be, once again, Mr. Hassan Haskins running back out of Michigan. Um so, again, it was really curious to me that Hassan Haskins had the most amount of carries against Nebraska. I thought Blake Horn was going to kind of pull away maybe, but turns out Hassan's got enough uh, juice left in the tank to where he took over that number one job, at least for that game. And to me, that's enough to at least pick him up and see where he can go in a Michigan team that is going to feed both of their running backs going forward. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hassan Haskins? Yeah, uh, it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be a challenge going into the uh, after this bye week that they've had. They're going into conference play and they're facing a lot of good opponents, especially in the East now. So it's mm-hmm. gonna be a big test for Haskins. I think Michigan. If you'd have told me if I, if somebody would have told me at the beginning of the season that I'm gonna say that Michigan is a good football team, I'd have laughed in their face. But I'm gonna say now that Michigan does look like a good football team. I think they will still be able to put up points. I don't think they will have any you know, dud games to where they just get shut out. I think Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum both have opportunities for to put up points and, you know, get a good, uh, some decent yards, especially in some uh, easier matchups. Now, I'm not saying the end of the year, you know, even with Ohio State's run defense not looking as great as it, as it has been, I think they've been getting better. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Michigan State's going to be a great game for the, uh, a good test for Haskins and Michigan and Corum. And then they still have Penn State and that great defensive front, but I think with, you know, Michigan having two great running backs, it's more about weeding these teams down. So it just depends on like whichever one breaks out first. So, I mean, I think in recent memory, it's been Haskins, but early on in the season, it's been Corum. So either way, both of these guys are still too good to like not have on your teams. So having one or the other is still good. Absolutely. We're going to move on to our last like official running back play of the week here. And that is going to be Mr. Ramir Johnson out of Nebraska. Man, again, this Nebraska running back room, everybody had their favorite of who they think was going to be able to take over this year. I think uh, Marquis Step was a big one for a lot of people. Uh, Gabe I got, Urban. What was it? Uh, Gabe Urban, the freshman. A lot of people had a... Uh... Gabe Irwin, um, Morrison, I believe, was another one that people were kind of picking up. Yeah. But now Ramir Johnson, redshirt freshman for Nebraska quickly becoming probably one of the better um, weapons for Nebraska to be using both on the ground and the receiving game. I believe he led Nebraska in receiving against Michigan and led him in rushing. So we're looking at a guy that is going to be utilized in every aspect of the game. And going forward, um, I would hope that he would continue. The problem with it right now is that he was injured in the game against uh, Minnesota, so we didn't get to see his full... Uh, potential being used in that game, and we don't know when his timetable will be to return. Uh, Nebraska has been pretty numb on it, or numb, mum on it so far. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Ramir Johnson? 
Yeah, um, I had a personal stake in watching that Nebraska-Minnesota game. Um, he took a lot of goal line carries away from Adrian Martinez, which, you know, it's it's a big deal in terms of what Martinez does and how he gets his value. And the fact that you're giving it to the running back, I think, speaks a lot, speaks volumes to what Ramirez Johnson means to that program. And I'm not saying he's just a goal line carry back like Kenneth Walker was a year before. I think Ramirez Johnson is definitely a complete back, and I hope that he comes back healthy. Because in the past three weeks, he's had over close to uh, – the uh, three weeks ago, he had like 19.8. So it's close to 20, and then after that, it's been only going up ever since. Mm-hmm. So – I would love to see Ramirez Johnson back healthy and to see that his uh, percentages go up if the news comes out that he's able to go for next week in the future. All righty. I'm going to throw out a, a six running back name here as an official play uh, for the waiver wire this week. Um, I don't have a graphic for him, mainly because this news kind of broke this morning and I didn't want to, or I just didn't have time to create a graphic for him uh, for today. But we're going to say Jalen Knighton running back out of Miami. Cameron Harris, the news comes out this morning that he will be out for the rest of the season. You have Don Chaney, who just unfortunately cannot stay healthy for the uh, to save his life. So it looks like Jalen Knighton really is just the last man standing there in that Miami backfield out of those that three-headed monster they were looking to have at the beginning of the season. And it looks like he's going to get the majority of carries going forward. And I think, honestly, um, a team like Miami is able to put up points when they need to, and their running back is going to be at the center of that. So I say Jalen Knighton. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Knighton? Yeah, like you said, Miami's going to be able to put up points when they need to. They're not going to win games, though. So um, they do have a tough defensive uh, schedule ahead of them just for just a few games. I think North Carolina State, with what they uh, did defensively against Clemson, is nothing to scoff at. Pittsburgh. Definitely one of the better. Okay, let's teams. be fair. Clemson's offense makes everybody look defensively look. That's good. true. That is true. I, I will not lie. I cannot uh, say that at this point in the season. Now, after looking at Clemson's offense, but I think North Carolina State's defense is actually legit. I think they've mm-hmm. always been good for a while. It's just that you know they lost Boston College seven points this last week. Yeah. So, and then they have Pittsburgh. I think uh, honestly, if you haven't watched the Pittsburgh game this season, they look like probably the better defensive team uh, in the ACC next to. Um, God, I forgot the team I was going to mention. I'm not going to say uh, Wake they look, they look good. They look good defensively in every game except for, you know, when they lost, um, except oh, when they let Western Michigan. Western Michigan score 40 on them. Yeah. They look a good against ACC game. opponents. Yeah, it was a weird game. But, um, yeah, then they have Georgia Tech, who is a weird team, but I think Jalen Knighton can still put up points and then Florida State. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities that – Miami's going to keep them in games to where, like, they'll throw for a lot and they'll pass a lot and he'll be able to get a lot of goal lines. And then, you know, he's he got 17 carries in these past two games. I, I see that being similar or even going up uh, in his production to maybe 2025. Mm-hmm. So um, now that we got those six plays out of the way, I'm going to run through those real quick, and that is going to be Travis Dye out of Oregon. We got Bryce Williams out of Minnesota. We got Charles Williams out of UNLV. We got Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. And we got Ramir Johnson out of Nebraska. And finally, we have Jalen Knighton out of Miami. And then I'm going to throw two more guys out here. We're not going to spend too long on this. Just two honorable mentions because they're both in the same boat for me. Uh, Jabari Small out of Tennessee and Dylan McDuffie out of Buffalo. These are two running backs you need to keep an eye on as the week goes on. Because if their other running backs continue to be injured, so um, like Kevin Marks in Buffalo, Tyon Evans in Tennessee. These are both going to be guys that are going to then see an increase in their volume as the week goes on. So absolutely keep an eye on those two. With that being said, let's go ahead and move on to our waiver wire wide receivers 
for the week. Man, that feels like a tongue twister. Waiver wire wide receivers. Waiver wire wide receivers. Anyway, we'll move on. Xavier, who do we got first? Yeah, we have Alex Pierce. Uh, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati owned on 11% of rosters, um, of fan track, uh, fan track rosters. Yeah, Alec Pierce. Uh, maybe not the greatest game against UCF this past week. He only had a one reception for 19 yards, but it was a touchdown, so he still had a little bit of value. But the games before that, um, he is a PPR monster. Uh, he gets about, for a Cincinnati wide receiver, getting a five to six receptions a game, I think that is great. And being kind of that number one receiver uh, bodes well for a team that's doing well and is expected to blow out the rest of their conference and, you know, keep on continuing things. Now, I will say they keep on relying on Jerome Ford to have like 40, uh, 40 point games, then that might not bode well for Mr. Pierce here. But I think Cincinnati will keep it a little bit more balanced uh, in the coming weeks to get ready for the uh if they do have a chance of making the playoffs, which I think in my personal opinion, they went out. I think that you should give them a shot, but we're speaking on Mr. Pierce here. Yeah. Um, and you know, a few of the games, I think he's had like maybe two or three hundred yard games. Um, and then three of the last four games, he's had a touchdown. So I think he's that reliable for Desmond Ritter. And I think he should definitely move up in percentage of roster owned. So, yeah. I don't have anything else to say. You pretty much covered almost everything I could have possibly have said about him. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and just move on. Yes. Oh, uh, a personal favorite of mine. We have Joshua Cephas out of UTSA on 36% of rosters. Uh, he's really close to that 40%, so we would have not, uh, not been able to add him. But, yeah, it's really weird about UTSA because I know going in and early on in the season, Zachary Franklin was that number one wide receiver, and mm-hmm. I believe he still is for UTSA. But they have a really good number two in Joshua Cephas. I, I might even consider him to say he's a 1B to where he's gotten almost a touchdown in almost every game, if I'm not mistaken, or uh, just it's been probably been all but one. And he's had a few hundred yard games so far. And he's a big part of that offense when the passing game is going. And with Frank Harris, if you just have any, like any major part of that UTSA offense that they're seven and zero right now. So I think is bodes well for your team at this point in the season. And he should be over 40% after this week, probably after today or whenever waivers run for your league. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Again, like with, with Zachary Franklin really just kind of being brought in back in slowly, he was injured for a couple games there. Joshua Cephas, like you said, has emerged as the number one wide receiver for right now for UTSA. And like you said, there's a lot of good passing opportunities for UTSA in their upcoming schedule. So I absolutely think that Cephas is 100% worth adding onto your roster, especially if you're struggling at wide receiver. He'll provide you some good consistency. Go ahead and move yeah. on to our next guy. Who do we got, Xavier? Yeah, we have Dante Cephas, no relation to Joshua Cephas of Kent State, 38% of rosters. One is a U, uh, one is an A. <laughs> yeah, one is a U, one is an A. Uh, owned on 38% of rosters on fan tracks. Yeah, Dante Cephas, we mentioned his name last week. I don't know what the percentage was, but obviously it shut up to 38%, and we're hoping mm-hmm. him to get to 40% after this week. Uh, looks like the number one receiver for Kent State. They did lose to Western Michigan, which doesn't bode that well for our predictions of who's going to win the MAC, but that's yeah. okay. They still have a lot of season left. Um, yeah, Dustin Crumb's number one receiver. You want that. Absolutely want mm-hmm. that. It's, 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 it's just that at this point, if he's on your waiver wire, he should be probably either number one or number two to any of, like, you know, a few, maybe the top two or three running backs that we named uh, previously before. But he's definitely that dynamic as a, uh, as a pass catcher, and I think he could definitely bode well, especially now we're getting in the middle of our season and coming towards the end. Um, you definitely need those number ones. So Dante Cephas should easily be over 40% after I'm, we're done recording this. 
Yeah, I, I do want to remind everybody, just making it very clear, we referenced it a couple of times, but these are all players who are under 40% roster ship. Um, there are a lot of good players out there that are above 40%, but we just couldn't include them here because that's our criteria. So like guys like Quentin uh, Johnson, uh, some other guys out there that I was I was ready to add on this week, but then again, they're already owned on too many leagues. Uh, I just want to remind everybody of that before you guys send me a bunch of messages being like, why is this guy not on there? Why is this guy not on there? It's like, listen, I know they're great players. Go get them regardless if they're yeah, available. Still but, in your leagues. but again, we try to hit 40% or under so that you have a great chance of these guys being available in your league. So yeah. we'll move on to our fourth wide receiver play of the week. I Again, Xavier, you touched on everything I would want to touch on with Dante. So we'll go ahead and move on. Who you got next, Xavier? We have, Can- oh man, Kanata Mumfield out of Ar- uh, Akron. I don't know why you put Arkin on there. Well, okay. that's unfortunate. Uh, Arkin, have you not heard? Have you not heard of Arkin? Arkin University I've never so far. Heard of Arkin. <laughs> yeah, they just moved up to the FBS. They were they were like okay. a Division Seventeen school. <laughs> oh man, up and coming, big, big jump, talent. big they, jump, they, they, big jump. They won Bama. They won Bama. But <laughs> Mr. Mumfield here, Mr. Mumfield here is owned on seventeen percent of roster spots. Um, I, I I remember I was I was asking Jared before this. I was like, man, who's this Mumfield kid? And he was just raving all about him. He was like, he's a PPR monster. In the past, I think in all of his games, you said that he's hasn't has he's just been Mister Consistent. He yes. hasn't had anything less than like what fourteen points. Uh, he has not had a, sing- a single digit game so far in half PPR format. And honestly, if I'm th- looking at this correctly, he even in standard he hasn't had uh, single digits. But so far this league, uh, this year, fifteen points, twenty five points, fourteen points, sixteen points, fifteen points in uh, half PPR this year. And that's consistent as hell. And I think he's flying under a lot of people's radars because they see that name next to him, Akron, not Arkin, Akron. And so people are like, oh, I don't really want an Akron receiver because they're awful. But here's the thing. They're awful. And you know what that means? They're going to be behind in a lot of games. And there's going to be a lot of passing opportunities for Mr. Mumfield here. And he's the clear wide receiver one for them. So I say absolutely go up and pick him up for if you just want a consistent option on your roster absolutely so we'll go ahead and move on to our final wide receiver of the week xavier what do you think about or who do we got we have mr at perry out of wake forest on 19 percent of roster spots now i understand people's hesitation about this wake forest offense like they're, they're they're looking great so far this season but the wide receivers have just been really weird to get a gauge on uh, you stubbed your Jakir uh, Roberson, who, I mean, he's kind of fell on, fallen off like the no, wide receiver number one and you know, where we had him all ranked preseason. Then there's, um oh, God, who's the other guy that they have? Taylor Morin? Um, yeah, Morin. Um, he's been, uh, you know, having some good games, too. But I think with A.T. Perry, with the, the amount of, uh, like, uh, targets that he's getting in receptions, it just bodes well to where I, I, I would take a chance on him with uh, Sam Hartman, I think. He has the skill set to be that number one. He's had 200-yard games so far, and he's, get, he's getting touchdowns. So, I mean, what more could you want? I think he's gotten a touchdown, uh, a touchdown, at least one touchdown in the last four games, and then his past game before the bye week, he had three. So, I mean, looking forward on his schedule, you have Army, which it always throws a wrench into your passing game. But then after that, you have Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State, and then Clemson and Boston College. So, there, there's some good games and get some good matchups. Wake Forest continues to look good and looks like the number one team in the ACC. And I think he should be an every week starter at this point. I would agree 100%. And you like you like my picture I found for A.T. Perry? Oh, yeah. I, I saw that and I was just like, that is perfect. 
<laughs> that is a perfect picture for AT. I love him. Um, like like David said, Wake Forest offense can be sometimes difficult to gauge on in terms of who's going to get the targets every single week. But I think AT Perry has shown that he is a consistent enough option for them, regardless of if he's the number one, number two receiver every week. If he's the number two, he's still getting op- He's still getting work. So absolutely, I think he's worth being picked up. All right. Let's move on to our waiver wire tight ends. Basically, we're, I'm going to go through this just a little bit quicker than we usually do with other positions because I know you guys don't really care as much about tight ends, but I still want to put some guys out there because, you know, we all love our good streaming tight ends. Um, but even so, um, I'll slow down a little bit on the ones that I haven't mentioned before because, once again, a lot of the same guys we see week after week. Um, Derek Deese, I mentioned him last week. I'll mention him again. He had another great game, even in their loss. So Derek Deese, tight end out of San Jose State University. He's been one of my favorites all year. Uh, Tyreek James, Tulane, oh no, 22% of rosters. I've said my piece on him before and everything. He's Mr. Consistent at tight end, and uh, he's not had a point. He's not had a game below eight points. He's not had a game above 12 or 13 points. But once again, he scored another touchdown this past week. So guess what? He's t- he, uh, he'll he'll get his his points one way or another. Uh, Austin Allen, this is a new one for this week. Uh, he seems to be. Um, Adrian Martinez's kind of flavor of the month outside of uh, Ramir Johnson. Seems like he's getting a lot of work every single week. Uh, so I think Austin Allen for Nebraska, owned on 3% of rosters, is worth looking at this week. Uh, Lucas Kroll, Pittsburgh. Man, is at 40%. We're so close, people. We're so close. But Lucas Kroll, he's had a couple of down weeks here, but I think he's about to pick it back up soon here. Uh, especially playing Clemson's defense, I have to imagine Kenny Pickett will be looking for a safety blanket, and Mr. Kroll is going to be that. Absolutely. And then the last one, another new one, Benjamin Eurosek out of Stanford. Just been going off these past two weeks. I believe he's had two 20-point games. Uh, before that, he was kind of, you know, down in those low single digits. But it looks like he's become a quick favorite of quarterback Tanner McKee here in this latest stretch. So I think he's absolutely worth looking at and just, you know, holding on to for a week, see if this continues, and then seeing what to do with him after that point. So Xavier, I kind of just ran through those guys real quick. Do you have any thoughts on any of these guys? No, not as much. I think you've touched on everybody that I probably would have cared enough about. So, All right. So those are our waiver wire pickups of the week. Uh, just going back through our tight ends real quick again. Derek Deese, um, Tyreek James, Austin Allen, Lucas Curl, and Benjamin Urasek. And so now we'll move on. We're going to go ahead and go into our helmet games of the week. And y'all, you guys got to stop me. I made too many helmet games this week. We actually have more helmet games than we do with just additional games of interest because I can't be stopped. I like making graphics and there's a lot of there was a lot of important games this week. Basically, I kind of made a criteria for myself where I was like, you know, if it's a ranked team getting upset, it has to be a helmet game for me. And then ranked matchups as well. And then we also had um we also had the Miami UNC game. I already had that graphic, so I just threw it in here. But anyway. We'll start with our two ranked v ranked matchups from this past weekend. We'll talk about those, and then we'll move on to a lot, and I mean a lot, of ranked upsets for this week. So, I'll start off with Kentucky, Georgia, and Xavier will just kind of alternate from there. So, okay, Georgia beats another ranked team, and uh, shame on Florida for losing and breaking Georgia's streak of playing against ranked competition. Y'all should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, but regardless, Georgia playing a ranked team for the third time in three weeks. Keep telling me that Georgia ain't played nobody. Um, 
overall thoughts on this game. This is what I think a lot of people thought the Arkansas-Georgia game from a couple weeks ago was going to look like. Uh, defensive struggle, uh, for the most part. Georgia kind of scoring in the low 30s. Um, and Arkansas, maybe, or Arkansas-Kentucky getting one or two touchdowns on Georgia. Maybe a field goal here and there. But it was one of those things where Georgia would, would just outmatch the other team. And I think that's what happened here with Kentucky. Kentucky's a great football team. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I think they absolutely deserve to be, can, to keep the top 15 ranking as the AP saw fit for this week. Um, I think there's a good chance they could go 11 and 0 this or 11 and 1 this season. I legitimately think that uh, Kentucky's a great team. They're very well coached uh, against teams where they're just not going to get beaten and battered uh, by just greater talent. I think they can do very very well. I'm very interested to see how they do against Tennessee in a couple weeks. Uh, I think that'll be a very very important game for them. Uh, but even so, other thoughts I had on this one, uh, Brock Bowers, goddamn Brock Bowers, uh, he, he came back two touchdowns over a hundred yards, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Brown, KB asked me, he was just like, Hey, we're going to see him come back this week. I'm like, I have no clue. And then I retweeted it later. I'm like, the answer to this was absolutely yes. He came <laughs> back. Uh, he bought himself some time on people's waiver wires for a couple of weeks. Um, some other things I thought was, again, I'm just going to talk about Georgia's defense. Uh, Georgia held Chris Rodriguez to seven carries for seven yards, uh, leading rusher in the SEC. So my God. And then Wandale Robinson had 12 receptions for 39 yards and a touchdown in this game. 12 receptions for 39 yards is the least amount of yardage a receiver has gotten with more than 10 receptions since 2014. That is insane. Um, also, second of all, if you had Rondale Robinson this week, congratulations. He still got he still got his fantasy points regardless of the fact that uh, he didn't do extremely well. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, you touched on almost everything. Um, I think it's finally time to uh, maybe bring up the Zamir White's relevance a little bit to where I think in the past, what, four or five games, he scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Maybe not getting 100 yards, but his carries are increasing, increasing depending on the matchup. And I think that bodes well for, you know, people that may see him on the waiver wire and in deeper leagues and then maybe like, yeah, Georgia's backfield is too split. But I think Zamir White's been a good constant in that backfield for a guy that you just need for a safe floor. Um, overall, I, I, I was impressed by our defense. Um, Will Levis didn't have the greatest of days. Wasn't appreciative of Mark Stoops in the last three seconds going for a touchdown. But here nor there, we won the game. That's all that really matters. And yeah, that's that's all, that's my piece on it. I, I'm happy that Georgia won. I'm happy that we had a bye week to get healthy because if you haven't like heard already that Georgia is injured to hell, um, and it doesn't look like it because you know we keep on winning these games. But realistically, uh, yeah, that's this is not even our final form for all you uh, you know anime enthusiasts that know the reference. But yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a sight to see if you know, who all comes back for that Florida game and for the rest of the season. There are rumors of, uh, you know, a certain number one receiver possibly coming back at the end of the year, maybe, a George Pickens. But, yeah, it's it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a Georgia fan. So I, I'm, I'm just here along for the ride, but I'm just taking it, you know, one game as a, at a time as a Georgia – as a fan of a team in Georgia, that's all you can do. Yeah, trust me. I, I was telling Xavier about this. He, he was talking about, like, how it, it feels weird to, like – be cuddling up to hope again and i'm like dude i'm a braves fan how do you think we feel right now we're up two nothing against the dodgers in in the nl uh cs series right now and i can sit there and think about nothing about the fact that we're gonna blow this that's how broken i am as a as just a atlanta slash georgia fan like if you just, see a 3-1 lead i'm just gonna be like just just get just throw it all away and I, 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 
I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Anyway, we'll go ahead and move on to our next game here. Let's look at Texas, OSU, Xavier, or OSU Junior, really, because OSU uh, Senior being Ohio State, obviously, but Oklahoma State at Texas. Xavier, I'm going to let you take on this one. Yeah, I'm not going to go too hard of a, a, a rant on Texas as I did last week against Oklahoma, but it was just as bad. I could. I absolutely could. Texas is a great, great first quarter and first half football team. I think their offense hits on all cylinders. I think their defense does enough to where the offense can come back on the field and put up more points and the game is out of reach. But for some reason, Texas does this thing at halftime to where they just ease their foot off the gas pedal and they don't think about, hey, the other team may make adjustments and may, you know, what try you to just said, I think, just drove a knife into the heart of Texas fans everywhere. Cause you're saying, oh, they ease their gas their their foot off the gas pedal when their entire mantra has been all gas, no brakes. Oh man, I didn't even know that. Sorry, <laughs> Texas fans, but sorry. Yeah. Um Obviously, there are breaks, and you know what? There is a brick wall to stop you, and for some reason, it's always halftime. Um, Oklahoma State had no no reason for coming back in this game. B. John Robinson was clicking all, on all cylinders, running the ball, catching the ball. Uh, Casey Thompson looked good in the first half. Xavier Worthy was looking to be, you know, that, that number one receiver that we all picked him up on the waiver wire last week for a reason, getting those catches. And with Jordan Winton out, it was just like, yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer. And there were a few other names in this place, like the Washington kid that took uh, over uh, Williamson that, that has, uh, you know, intrigued me a little bit. But then after that, I was like, OK, Oklahoma State can't keep up. Jalen Warren did look good for the first. Uh, not Maybe not as great the first half as I thought he was going to be. He but went I was, off in the second half. I'll talk about that when you get to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, well, with more and more carries, I think there would be better opportunities for him to score. But then we hit halftime and I'm like, OK, I'll switch to some other games and I'll come back to this game. And after halftime. Texas could not get a thing going. And I'll let Jarrett just mention the crazy stat and what else happened after this half. But it was just utterly ridiculous about like, I don't know if I can blame it on Sarkeesian or if I if he needs to make a DC change or just anything, or just is it maybe the personnel and the players they have on defense, but it's just unacceptable at this point. I'm not gonna blame Texas's defense actually nearly as much as you would think I would on this game. I'm gonna put the blame solely on offense. Um, first of all, I'll just go through my thoughts on this game real quick. Um, I'm legitimately impressed with Oklahoma State for this win. Um, I do think Texas is a good team, and I think they made some great halftime adjustments that helped them out in this game. And I still, I don't think Oklahoma State really is a top 12 program in the country. Um, but regardless, this was, I think, an important win for them, uh, especially coming back against Texas, I think was good. Um, you already mentioned B. John Robinson. Dude just went off in this game. He's probably... Uh, Almost a clear favorite for the Heisman at this point, just because every single, no matter who he plays, he goes off. Uh, but Jalen Warren was really the other running back story here. He didn't score any touchdowns, but he had 33 carries for 193 yards. Most of those coming in the second half. Um, Texas's defense definitely was no help there. But we're going to look at the offense now. After scoring a touchdown on the opening drive in the second half, Texas's offense goes six straight drives, three and out. Uh, turnovers on two of them. One was an interception, one was a turnovers on downs. Uh, that right there is how you can blame um, Oklahoma State being able to score um, 10 points in the fourth quarter because they were able to turn over in their own territory and then they were able to score off of it. So 
yeah, I'm going to put the blame here on Texas's offense. I'm not sure what happened in that second half to where they just could not get anything going. I need to watch the film just a little bit better. But regardless, like, well done to Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree, too. I think uh, what they Oklahoma State, I, I will give them credit in their pass rush. They got to Casey Thompson a lot, and they kind of slowed down the run game for B. John Robinson to make them a little bit less explosive. But there were, there were times where Texas had terrible penalties and that pushed them back, and they were in their own end zone, and then they couldn't get anything going. You can't expect Bijan to get you, you know, five plus yards every single time he's touching the ball. There, there's all, there's limits to running backs like you know abilities and talent. So it's it, it was just it was just an utter utter uh, certain type of show for Texas. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to our next game here. So we have the big upset of the weekend, obviously, and that is going to be Purdue upsetting number two, Iowa. Uh, Let me just write down a time here, and then we will get started. Apologies for everybody. I have to do my job. Anyway, so obviously this is the big freaking upset of the weekend. I don't think anybody really saw this coming. Really, everybody was talking about last week after Iowa beat Penn State. They said, where's the loss? Where's the loss? Because if Iowa keeps doing what they're doing, they might go throughout the season undefeated. Well, it turns out when your entire strategy for winning as a football team is to just constantly generate turnovers and get short field position off those turnovers and thus score off a short field position with your, what we all knew was a very pedestrian offense, it was going to bite you in the butt in one of these games. And it turns out in this game, Iowa was the one doing all the turnovers because they were minus three on the turnover margin throughout the day. In fact, uh, Petrus threw four interceptions, three of which coming in the fourth quarter. So, they, so Iowa's game plan just doesn't go to go to work. And then at the end of the day, really, Purdue was beating Iowa, but really, David freaking Bell was. Dude, an insane stat line. 11 receptions for 240 yards and a touchdown. My God. Xavier, I'm so glad I told you, I told you on the Kings Classic. I was just like, you were just like, ah, he's going up against Iowa. And I'm just like, no. Oh, I wasn't going to not start him. I was just like, eh, it could be an upsetting day. I was and wrong. I said, I said, nope. He has burned Iowa twice in the past two years, and he did it again even more so this time. So, God, I love David Bell. Uh, But again, this game really shows you just how much you can't rely on turnovers when you're trying to determine point margins for these games and everything like that. It really is just bounce a ball sometimes. Because, like, let me tell you, Xavier, here's the stat I found most interesting from the game. Iowa came into the game with the most caused turnovers in the country. Purdue came in with the least. Purdue ended up with on the day with four turnovers from Iowa, Iowa had one from Purdue. Turnovers are not something that you can rely on week in and week out. That's why I don't think you can sit there and say that Notre Dame is 28 points better than Wisconsin because so many of those points came directly off of turnovers. So, yeah, that, that's really the point I really want to make with this is like, if a team, like, watch out for this in the future. When teams are causing turnovers constantly, that's going to bite them at one point. You saw it last year as well with uh, USC and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. A lot of people picking USC in that game, and I said, they keep relying on turnovers. Oregon's gonna, if Oregon wins the turnover battle, it's gonna get ugly. So, even still, any other thoughts I have on this? Yeah, just Iowa, when they were forced to rely on Petrus, they fell apart, and honestly, if it weren't for a touchback, 
that was caused by, um, I believe it was uh, Sheffield. He fumbled the ball on the one-yard line, and it went through the end zone. Uh, thus, it was a touchback. This game could have been even worse. This this was an absolute thrashing of Iowa, and quite frankly, there's not often I I'm I'm not usually one to just sit there and like use this kind of language, but like Iowa got exposed. That's all I can say. What are you thinking, Xavier? Yeah, I and I never thought I was like yeah for a second that Iowa number two ranking. Everybody knew that, that it just didn't sit well. Like Iowa fans can you know feel some type of way about it, but we all know you were frauds. Uh, you know, it, like Jared mentioned about the turnovers, like you can't rely on that so much. We, you knew what you had at QB. He wasn't anything anything special. Tyler Goodson is probably your only bright spot on that offense. And when you're relying on turnovers so much, like, yeah, I, you, you had me a little bit fooled that maybe your secondary was elite and maybe teams couldn't pass on you so much. But I think it was just more based on like, you know, a lot of those teams that you were facing weren't that good and at, and they were kind of limited at a certain point. To where at Penn State, you lost Sean Clifford, who would have probably beaten you if he was fully healthy for that entire game. Mm-hmm. And the games before, you weren't playing that great of quarterbacks, if I'm being utterly honest, completely honest. So I think you're going to win those turnover batters if you're, like, depending on the matchups. But then it was Purdue. Now, it wasn't Jack Plummer out there. It was Adrian, uh, uh, Aiden McConnell. And so far, we've only seen him maybe once or twice this season. So I, I don't think it was a good sample size for them to say, hey, maybe he's, like, you know, very – safe with the ball but Purdue they did come in with the least amount of turnovers so obviously they're not fumbling the ball they're not throwing interceptions no no least turnovers caused I need oh least turnovers caused like the defense wasn't creating turnovers okay okay but still I I don't I don't think like Purdue was coming in like you know with Aiden or Jack Plummer throwing that many interceptions and you have a reliable receiver of David Bell that's burned you for the past two years it's going to take a lot. Now, the run game for uh, Purdue is not that great because they lost a lot of people on uh, in that backfield. They got King Dover but, back at, finally, which was nice. Okay, that's good then. So, I mean, it was all pointing for kind of your defense to kind of step up, and you just didn't because, like you said, turnovers are not – not to say they're that oh. random, but, yeah, you can't really predict that you're going to win the game solely I, I'm, off of I'm that. not putting this on Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense held Purdue to 24 points. So, like, it's not like they were – it's not like they had a horrible day. Now, again, David Bell was a problem all day long. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, like, I, Iowa's offense really was to blame here. Like, I they, mean, well, you can't even say anything about Iowa's offense. They just – you know, they only benefit off a of short field position. So, can I ever say that Iowa is, like – Well, I mean, they have true. to get better if they want to – like, all of a sudden, Iowa – when you look at the rest of their schedule, after losing to Purdue and realizing that a team like that can expose them once they don't get turnovers like they do in other games, all of a sudden Iowa looks like a team that was ready to go undefeated to now be could be looking at two, three, maybe even four losses. Yeah, that's that's how crazy this game just shifts the entire dynamic of what Iowa was looking like, which is a shame because I picked Iowa to win the West, and so now I'm que- I'm even questioning like how that could work out. <laughs> Oh man, I forgot who I picked to win the West. You picked Wisconsin, which might have been oh, worse. God. <laughs> we'll go ahead and move on to our next game. Yeah. All right. Other big upset of the weekend. Xavier, you're laughing, but you get to start off on this one. I do, I do. Uh, we have uh, Florida in the bat, uh, in Baton Rouge uh, going against LSU. So you went down to the swamp, Florida. You're coming off of a terrible loss of the shoe game last year. You want your revenge. You are the clear favorite for this game. I'm not saying that you're the clearly better football team, but you're the favorite. I mean, it, it was just more of like LSU looked terrible up to this point. 
I mean, they, they had a, a, the week before Tyrion Davis price looked a little bit better in the run, a lot better in the run game. I will, I will not discredit him that much. He's looked a lot better in these past couple of weeks, but with Keishon Butte going down and that entire secondary depleted to basically nothing walk-ons and third stringers and freshmen, Florida, this game was in your hands. It, it, there's, there's absolutely no excuse for how you lose this game. I, I, I can't I couldn't even fathom. I know a lot of people were just surprised where a lot of even like people who respect in the industry of college football are like were just so shocked that or it's just so like enamored and surprised that Florida just found a way and Dan Mullen just was like I lost this game. Like Ed Ogeron got fired immediately the day after. I mean he's 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 allowed to play the rest of the be with the team for the rest of the season, but after this year he's done. He's gone. So I'm, I'll, I'll start off to say Emory Jones, I, I, I don't I never saw it. I don't know what a lot of people did see. You know, uh, he had I can't even say dual threat ability just because you're a quarterback and you can throw the ball. All his all his like, you know, intangibles were in his legs. I never saw it in his armor or his accuracy. I had hope, you know, I, I was like, all right, you have it in your legs. You have Dan Mullen. Kyle Trask looked better. You know, he got better over the years. Maybe, you know, you're getting all this time to show me something. I still didn't see it. Didn't even see it in the Oklahoma game uh, in the bowl game last year. So I was just like, I just don't see what y'all are seeing. And we saw that yesterday. Then you put in the freshman, Anthony Richardson, who honestly, if I'm just going based on the eye test, he's probably the best quarterback that Florida has right now. Didn't have that great of a day either. I mean, in terms of scoring points, he did. He kept them in that game. He definitely was the reason they were still in that game. But I'm not going to just, you know, crown him like Caleb Williams where it's like all right Spencer Rattler had a terrible day and Caleb Williams came in looking like you know Jesus and basically wins the wins the football game we'll get to that game later but it wasn't that Anthony Richardson still threw two interceptions he had three touchdowns but he still threw two interceptions and your defense I, I don't know what happened you could you let Max Johnson and Tyrion Davis Price do everything on you especially Tyrion Davis Price we we went for like maybe five to six weeks of just absolutely thrashing the LSU backfield and running back room of how bad it was and how they were, that's why they were losing games. And you're telling me in two weeks that Tyrion Davis Price just magically figured it out and is going for over 100 to 200 yards breaking school records. I, I'm not going to say that Tyrion Davis Price is bad. We'll see for the rest of the season that if he truly can get better and be that number one for next year. But I'm going I'm, I'm to have like, you know, a little bit of skepticism for that just upcoming, but at the same time, he did expose you. I, they exposed you on every facet to where Deion Smith, Gerard Jenkins, Cole Taylor, all these, like, you know, they're, they're still great receivers, but they're not, they're no Kayshawn Butte and they're freshmen. I, I, I can't point to anything good that Florida did. You know, you caused some turnovers, but you also get some turnovers. So it, it just was a battle until the end. And a lot of your, like, you know, you had some really, you know, low probability chances of, like, the at the end of the half, you threw not a Hail Mary, but, like, a prayer to Jacob Copeland from Emory Jones, and you got that score because LSU's uh, the secondary was battered up, and they couldn't do anything and stop anything. But at the end of the day, you lost this game. And I, I'm just utterly surprised. I don't know what you're going to do, like, you know, for the Georgia game, because honestly – as a Georgia fan, I know you always bring your A game against us because it's always in Jacksonville. But at the same time, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable about absolutely exposing you. Just a little bit. I still have, you know, this thing about hope in Georgia. But at the same time, 
Florida, you don't look that you don't look that hot right now. Um. So yeah. Well. Well done on the rant there. I think you. Wow. You went almost five whole minutes uh, with yeah. that. You. You were. You were tearing them apart, and they deserve it. There was no no excuse for this loss. Um, LSU was without their best three three DBs in this game. Um, there should have been balls thrown all over the field from Florida. Um, so I was on the CFF University podcast last week with Brandon Sanders. Go check him out, by the way, y'all. Uh, that great show. Love loved hanging out with Brandon. Love would love to have him on the show in the future. Um, but one of the props we had was Max Johnson under 21 and a half points uh fantasy points for the day if you were to tell me if you were to come to me on on friday and you told me lsu is going to score 49 points in their game against florida this weekend oh and by the way max johnson is still going to hit that under i would have called you crazy i would have put you in an insane asylum i would have said there was no way that would have been possible because I've seen what LSU's run game looked like. They were 127th in the rushing, in the rush before this game. All of a sudden, Tyrion Davis-Price goes 36 carries, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. What the hell? What? Just This was like one of the biggest WTF games of the season so far. And Florida really has nowhere else to blame but itself. There was no reason for them to even be close this game. So, yeah, I'm done. Xavier, you've already said your piece. Let's move on. Yeah, fire Todd Grantham. Fire him now. Honestly, you're right. I mean, or wait, wait till after the Georgia game, please. Wait till after the Georgia True. game. I would love to see you call a Georgia game, please. All right, let's move on to our next game. Another SEC upset here. We got Auburn. We got Arkansas. Let me just write down something real quick, and we'll get started with this. So this game made me sad because I was really rooting for Arkansas. I really wanted Arkansas to not lose three games in a row. I wanted them to play well at home. And I think they're just too beaten and battered from playing um, Texas A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss, and now Auburn. I think I think the schedule just caught up with them here. Next week they, pay, they play Pine Bluff, whatever that is. Um, so that's just what the doctor ordered. I'm hoping Arkansas just takes advantage of that game. And wins it. Start even, Jefferson. <laughs> but Jefferson. Yeah, really. Um, but let's let's be real. Um, I have my thoughts on some of the officiating in this game because uh, I know Tennessee fans, I'm letting you know, you're not the only ones that get screwed out of SEC officiating. It's just awful across the board. So uh, quit acting like you're the only ones and excusing your awful behavior. Um, anyway, but part of the reason this game got the way that it did was that Bone Nix is looking good. Dude went 21 for 26 for 292 yards, two touchdowns, only threw one interception, also had five runs and 42 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Bo Nix is looking good. It is insane what happens when he can get in sync with these receivers just a little bit more and they don't drop his balls. Um, yeah, I, I was legitimately impressed with Bo Nix in this game. He uh, played out of his mind and played to win. Uh, Traylon Burks had another great day, nine receptions, 109 yards, two touchdowns. Um, really glad to see him finally living up to his potential after getting over that injury bug that plagued him early on in the season. Um, 
But like I said, I think Arkansas, not that it would change the outcome of the game, because at the end of the day, you lost, they lost by 15 points, so that's kind of a big swing to just point to the referees. But even so, they got screwed on some big-time plays. Um, and like I said, I think Arkansas has just run out of gas right now. I think they need the bye. I think they need Pine Bluff just to get ready for the rest of the season. Because I think Arkansas can still make a pretty good bowl game. They can probably finish the season possibly 8-4. and four. I don't see them winning Bama. But I think it's possible for them to win the rest of their games. Outside of that, they just need some rest and they need some time to recuperate. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Arkansas and Auburn here? Yeah, um, two teams that Georgia beat. Uh, two good teams, to be exact. Um, like you said, Bo Nix looks a lot better. I mean, uh, it's it's so weird. At this point now, I'm ready to admit, like, you know, it, it was it was more about, like, man, I'm not saying I was one of those agreeers that we haven't played anybody yet, but I was definitely like, all right, are these teams really actually that good? And now I'm seeing these teams play against each other and play other opponents that are, like, decently good and they're winning. I'm just like, all right, our defense is just that legit. But no, enough of the Georgia Tech. Man, it's KJ Jefferson has a bright future for Arkansas. I, I'm really excited to see him, uh, you know, going forward. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Traylon Burks leaves for the draft this year, who that next guy that will emerge with Mike Woods transferring out and going to Oklahoma, who's having a good, uh, you know, season so far for them. But it, it was just definitely the officiating got, uh, irked me a lot. You know, it, it's so weird about like what is a fumble and what is not a fumble this season to where I, I, I guess anything that the ball moves forward, but, you know, it clearly you lost control. It's still a forward pass. So it is what it is. Um, KJ Jefferson didn't have the grids today. I mean, he's still getting a, mo- a lot more accurate using his uh, dual threat ability. I like that a lot too, but Arkansas has a deep backfield. So maybe he doesn't have to run as much, but I still love it when he does because he's that big of a player and that freak of an athlete. Bo Nix definitely looks better. I think what, Auburn's wide receivers are definitely getting better. Uh, I think Demetrius Robertson was a good pickup in the transfer portal from Georgia. Um, a few other guys, Jaquez Hunter and Tanks Bigsby are obviously the two star running backs for that program. So overall, this game, it, it was good. I mean, I would have preferred Arkansas to win because, you know, as a Georgia fan, you don't really want to root for Auburn. But at the same time, it was a, it was a good game in the end. So I, I, I'll give Auburn its credit to where they look like a good football team. Bo Nix doesn't look as terrible he has as in the past three years. I think this is probably – the best Bo Nix we're ever going to see. And if he comes back for one more season, if he wants to use that one year of extra eligibility, it will be interesting to see. Again, I agree with you. It'd be interesting to see if he can, if he can keep this up. Because again, I was legitimately impressed with him. He made some great throws in that game. He's looking like a lot better of a QB. Again, sometimes, you know, a lot of times of these, like, not star QBs, but like a lot of these times when these QBs we have with a lot of expectations, when they do get benched, it is kind of like a moment of realization for them. I think him getting benched for TJ Finley in the LSU game was enough to kind of, I don't know, maybe something flipped in that moment. Who knows? We'll go ahead and move on to our next game. And that's going to be Arizona State upset at Utah. Arizona State 21, Utah 35. Xavier, it is your turn to begin. Yeah, uh, Arizona State coming into this game only having one loss and looking like the best team in the Pac-12 South versus Utah. Uh, You know, another great program in the Pac-12 South coming off of what? One or two losses. I think it's been one loss so far. Utah has had two losses so far. Two losses. They lost to BYU as well. Yeah, neither neither of which has been um, a Pac-12 team. Yeah. So now they have to face off. And Cameron Rising is honestly the story here. Uh, Great freshman. 
uh, coming in after Charlie Brewer uh, basically left the program. I don't, did he go back in the transfer portal, or is he just done with football? He is in the transfer portal. Oh, okay. I don't know who's going to take him, but yeah, at this point, I don't know. But you you have a great freshman, a great backfield of running backs that I can't get a good gauge on it as well either. You have like Michael Bernard and um, who's the guy that went off this week for Utah? Uh, Thomas, Tavian Thomas. Thomas. So. It, 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 I think Utah is a very balanced team at this point, and I think that's going to bode well continuing their Pac-12, uh, you know, not to say dominance, but their season of, like, you know, making it to the championship. I know we both had Utah winning uh, the Pac-12 South. I don't think this is how we imagined it as we spoke earlier. I, 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 I agree 100%. <laughs> um, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more of, like, the Texas and Oklahoma State game. It's, like, when you get a lead at halftime and you know the team is making adjustments so you don't, like, react to their adjustments and you allow teams to come back. Because Arizona State was leading this game at half. 21-7. Like, yeah. So, uh, it's just surprising because Arizona State, they have a talented backfield. Jaden Daniels looked good. And after that, it just came flat. So, mm-hmm. I, I have to give it up to Utah. I mean – they are becoming the team that we thought they were supposed to be at the beginning of the season. Um, maybe Charlie Brewer was the only thing holding them back. We don't know. I don't, I don't know necessarily about that. But again, like you're right. The story of this game was just a tale of two halves. Arizona State going up 21-7 to by halftime. And then Utah outscoring Arizona State 28-0 in the second half. Like Talk about some halftime adjustments. Arizona State had no answers for it. And really, uh, Utah played till the end of the game. Uh, the final... The final, um, the final set of downs for this game, Utah got three straight sacks on uh, Jaden Daniels, made sure that there was no possible way they could come back in this game. So hats off to Utah, upsetting in this game. Arizona State, you disappoint me. Um, disappoint Xavier especially. He, he, he was crying last night. I heard him all the way, yeah. uh, all the way from the hundred mi- hundreds of miles away. That's how bad you made yep. Xavier cry. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. To our next game. Uh, this is another one. I saw this one coming, if I'm being real. Uh, I didn't even put it on last week's like preview. And oh, I yeah, prob- that's right. I probably should have. Um, no, that was, yeah, I would have probably saw that coming as well, too. But I, I would have picked Baylor. If we had it on last week, I would have picked Baylor in this game. That's how confident I felt in it. I think BYU is a good team. But I don't think... This, this was something I thought was kind of interesting. Was the fact that... Somebody pointed out on Twitter. They said... It was a BYU fan. They said, "This is why I'm ready to play for play in a conference because as, as soon as we had one loss, we have nothing left to play for. We don't go to the playoffs. We don't have a conference championship or a division to win. We have nothing. All we have is a good bowl game." And so I'm like, "You know what? That could be what happened here with BYU. They aren't maybe they aren't just as bought in anymore." And Baylor is now a ranked team after beating BYU. They deserve to be. They probably should have been ranked last week, if I'm being real. Um, but they still have... They, technically, they're still in the in the battle for the Big 12. Um, that that, that, that uh, conference is about to get very interesting. There's a lot of teams with very good records that are about to start facing each other. It's kind of like the Big 10 East. Um, other notes from this game. If you want to know why BYU lost this game... Uh, that's because their lead back, uh, Tyler Algier, went 15 carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so that's about 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, versus Baylor, whose lead running back, Abram Smith, went two or went 27 carries for 188 yards and three touchdowns, and that's good for 6.4 yards per carry. 
So uh, that's why Baylor won this game at the end of the day. Pretty much the only player from BYU that it was nice to see uh, really step up was uh, Puka Nasua. Uh, five catches, 168 yards, and a touchdown. Other than that, BYU came out completely flat in this game. So I'm not surprised. What are your thoughts, Xavier? Yeah, uh, I, I think Baylor's been underrated this season. Um, I, I definitely have them as a ranked team, in my opinion, as one of the better teams in the country. Um, are they ranked now? I, I forgot. To uh, Baylor is now ranked. They are now ranked. So I think they're finally, you know, coming onto the radar. I, I don't think, you know, they're pushing for the Big 12 championship anytime soon, but I think they're in a good spot to where coming off of, uh, you know, more. Multiple terrible seasons. Not well, not terrible seasons. There, there's been some seasons where they had good bowl games, especially the one against Georgia like two years ago. But it just hasn't been the same since you know you were once at the the forefront of the Big Twelve. Yeah, since that rule left. So yeah, but then you know with all the the NCAA rules and regulations coming down, I think you know for for the season you're having right now, it's it's a good time to be a Baylor fan. So I'm happy for the program BYU. It's there's just so many question marks of like, you know, it's obviously Jaron Hall is a different type of quarterback than Zach Wilson. He brings a different style. And with the OC leaving and the head or the head coach leaving and the OC leaving, um, there's definitely been some changes where Tyler Algier has been relied on a lot in the run game. Um, Isaac, uh, Isaac Rex has become just basically a, not, not to say a nobody, but has been non-existent for this offense. Um, I mean, it's great to see some receivers step up uh, with Gunner and uh, Poa uh, Poa, but yeah, once you, because you're joining the Big 12 next year, it's going to get a lot tougher on from here. So, uh, but I mean, at least you'll have something good, to play for, I think. I think yeah, you'll have help. something to play for. You'll have a good experience and understand, like, you know, it's it's not just, um, you know, easy easy going playing, you know, all, a lot of these independent uh, pendants in some of these conference games or some of these teams with conferences. Like, you have to play for, you know, recruit well, do all these things differently now. So it, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting going forward. As far as the game, I didn't watch much of it. I just, you know, kept tracking the score. And I was like, yeah, I think I had Baylor going to win this game as well, too. I mean, BYU, they've had impressive wins over Pac-12 teams. But I think Baylor has just been, even though the Big 12 and the Pac-12, it's not that much of a, a gap. I think Baylor, from what I've seen on the field and what they've shown, I had a feeling they were probably going to pull this one out with Jerry Bohannon and, and Abram Smith. Oh, fair enough. All right, we'll move on to our last helmet game of the day here. Uh, this was There's nothing really truly remarkable about this game, but I already had the helmet grid because I put it in as a joke last week, so I figured I'd just go ahead and keep it here. Uh, we got Miami at UNC. Xavier, I'll let you get started here. Yeah, it, it was a... Uh... <laughs> You know what? Um, I forgot what the spread for this game was. Um, um, I believe it was UNC minus a touchdown. Minus a touchdown? Maybe, so, maybe I six. Mean, it was close. It definitely was a close game. Um, Sam Howell definitely had a bounce back game, a better game. I love, I, I really love, um, you know, if he doesn't come back to UNC, I, I definitely think he's one of the better quarterbacks in this upcoming draft with what he's shown in his rushing ability. And if he has a decent line, I think the sky's the limit for him. Mm -hmm. um josh downs continues to be that reliable number one receiver that you know a lot it was a lot of you know in the preseason you could do a lot of speculation of like yeah we saw you in the bowl game against texas a&m and we saw you in the season a few times but you're replacing like three three great receiver or two great receivers and two great backs about that offense what are you going to do to step up and be the forefront of it and he has delivered in every facet to where it's just 
he's consistent and he's consistently at the highest level to where he's one of the top receivers, you know, going forward. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if Sam Howell comes back next year or if they go with um, their freshman quarterback that I forget his name, but Drake I will May. know next uh, Drake may to see if they uh, continue where Sam Howell left off. But in terms of this game, both of these teams are just bad defensively. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's much more to say about it. It was just going to be a shootout regardless. Um, and honestly, that's why we both picked UNC, because I think we just trust Sam Howell and that offense a little bit more than UNC and their offense with uh, Derek King out and basically the running game being non-existent for Miami. Now, Jalen Knight did have a, a good day. He had a lot of attempts. Didn't have over 100 yards, but he was close. He was short of eight yards. Um, he had two touchdowns. So, I mean, it bodes well for fantasy in terms of like, yeah, you're going to be playing for nothing at this point, but Jalen Knighton's going to look good, I guess. Um, yeah, overall, a lot closer because it came down to the wire in the end, like the last mm. two minutes. So, um, I mean, it was a good football game to watch, but it's just sad that we both picked these teams to win the Coastal and there's no shot that they make it. Probably so. not. Miami definitely doesn't have a shot anymore. Yeah, no. Um. I mentioned last week when we talked about this game how Miami got gashed by the running game the year before, and I think that was a big reason why UNC was going to win this game. And guess what? I was right. Uh, Ty Chandler had 18 carries for 104 yards and two touchdowns. Sam Howell. Uh, usually you would expect another running back here maybe to gash him up a little bit, but no, it was the quarterback Sam Howell. 17 carries, 89 or excuse me, 98 yards and two touchdowns. I'm really glad to see they really are incorporating Sam Howell's dual threat ability into the offensive game plan for UNC. Now, I think that's going to help him out a ton. I wasn't planning on going this direction when we first started this game uh, game recap, but I really am tired of seeing people talk about how Sam Howell is in the same boat as Spencer Rattler in terms of his NFL stocks tanking. Like, people mention them in the same breath. They're just like, yeah, really, Howell and Rattler really tank their stocks. This no. no, 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 no. Rattler's in the toilet. His stock is in the toilet. We'll get to that game. We'll get to that game. His, his game's in, his, he's in 12. Howell, I agree, not played his best year so far. Like, it's not been great. But he is nowhere cl- You can't put him in the same breath as Rattler. And even if he does leave this year, he's not going undrafted, people. He's not going... Like, hell, I'd be surprised if he made it out of the second round. Like, is he... Is he clearly the number one pick in the draft? Hell no. Hell no. No. Hell, I didn't think that even really before the season. I didn't think either one of the QBs were really like clear number one picks or anything like that. But like, I thought they could have improved to number one if they had a Heisman season. But... Yeah, but like, we're again, like, I'm looking at him now as like maybe a late round, late first round, second round. Like, clearly, he's not going to need to stay another year. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's shown enough ability at this point. I didn't mean for this to turn into like a whole like. I'm, I'm defending Sam Howell here, but like, I I don't know, like you talking about it and then I kind of thought about it. I was just like, yeah, people really have been dis- disrespecting Sam Howell and he's doing a lot more than Spencer Rattler ever did. I don't know why people keep mentioning them and in he, the same breath. He's kind of erased some question marks I had about him and his mobility. I was like, I, I, I remember, you know, last year and the year before, I was like, he's kind of a stash in the pocket. Now he's mobile. I can call him a dual threat. He's run for over 100 yards in like three or four games. So far. probably like three games, two or three games. But I never would have expected that if you told me a year or two ago that Sam Howell would be rush, rushing over 100 yards and probably has over like four or 500 yards rushing on the season. So I'm really excited for whatever team gets him and if they can develop him right. Honestly, at this point, I'm kind of hoping my Broncos get him, but that's for another story. Let me take a look. I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. You got me intrigued. 
uh, uh, God, what stats? Uh, rushing. He is currently at 494 yards on the season. Like I said, I was like, I was thoroughly impressed because in the past two years, not even close. Yeah, he had pa- he had he had positive rushing yards. I'll say that much. He did, he did, <laughs> but not to 495. All righty, let's move on here. We're gonna move on to our additional games of interest. I am frozen. No, there we go. We're there good we go. here. All of them are up. All of them are up. We're just gonna keep it that way this week. Yep. So let me just write down this time real quick. Yeah. And regardless, right. we're gonna run through these pretty quickly again. These yep. are. The, like none of these are like super spectacular. Um, well, in turn- well okay, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that one. But first, let's start off with number three Cincinnati fifty six beating UCF twenty one. This is Cincinnati's just going to continue to roll. Um, they know what they have to do if they want a chance of making the playoff, and that's beat the living crap out of every person on their schedule and beat the Power Five teams at on the road. Again, I think I really think people are underestimating that because everybody's like, "Oh, the Notre Dame win doesn't look so good anymore," and "Oh, that in that uh, Indiana, Indiana win doesn't look so good." Yo, they went on the road to packed Power Five stadiums. That's hard to do, regardless yeah. of what conference you play in. It is, Notre Dame, especially, that's hard to do, and they still won those games pretty convincingly. So I think people need to stop again disrespecting Cincinnati and those wins and be like, "Oh, those don't look no." You want to talk about wins that don't look so good anymore? Talk about um, UCF playing or beating Stanford at home, and then that Stanford team goes on to be like four and eight. Yeah, that's a win that doesn't look so good anymore. But Cincinnati still has a ton of good wins under their belt. And again, they have an opportunity to play SMU by the end of the year, and SMU could provide another notch on that belt for them going into the playoffs. So anything else I want to mention here? Uh, it's getting a uh, big one. Well, it's like, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Jerome Ford, 20 carries, yep. 189 yards, and four touchdowns. Obviously, Four-way he was the story, story of the game right there. They All Cincinnati had to do all day was just run the ball. Um, I'm glad to see Isaiah Bowser back. Uh, he had 13 carries, 27 yards, and touchdown. Not his best day, but I'm just glad to see him back out on the field. Hopefully, he'll get that volume that he had. Uh, UCF misses Dylan Gabriel, something fierce. Um, yeah. Mikey Keene, uh, he's a great guy, looks like, and uh, trying his best, but he's definitely just not Dylan Gabriel, at least not yet. Um, and then another note I have here, I honestly forgot I wrote this down, but like Ahmad Gardner might be my favorite non-offensive player to watch in the country right now because it's like every defensive play it feels like he's involved in on that Cincinnati defense, and he is looking good. Love him yeah. to death. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah. Um... I won't touch too much on the game. I think you touched everything. I will agree about Ahmad Garner. I think last year during the Georgia game, I saw a great little picture. And then um, Kendall Milton's father was talking about he's going to cherish this moment and come back with a a fire. And I think he has. Mm -hmm. Um, People won't even throw to his side of the field anymore. That's how much they respect him. And I think he's going to be a great corner in the NFL. Um, but in terms of what I really wanted to touch on, I, I know I had this conversation with a lot of people, like more of a casual, uh, you know, watchers of college football like with my father and a few other of his friends that don't believe Cincinnati will be in there long I think Ohio State and a lot of these other big time uh, power five programs will overtake them in the college football playoffs and I was like that only happens if Cincinnati you know ends up losing or they don't win convincingly 
And I think, and, I, and they were like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, but I was like, have you watched Cincinnati play? I don't think they will, you know, unless it's, I was like, the only game I could only see that is, is SMU. And I was like, even if you don't win that game convincingly, SMU is a good football team. That I, I think first the, playoff poll is going to be huge yeah, when it absolutely. comes to Cincinnati's chance at the playoff. If they're in the top four, it's going to be hard to knock them out of the top four if they keep winning. Yeah, because right now I was like, the only the only team you could really advocate for that has a shot of getting in that top four now that's outside is Ohio State, and that Oregon loss looks terrible. It looks absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even if you win the Big Ten, that, that's a lot of ranked teams that they have ahead of them. But at the same time, as Cincinnati goes undefeated, I think at this point, this is probably the season for Cincinnati to get in the college football playoffs because it's just like, look, you did beat the ranked teams in the Big Ten, but you did not look good early on, and that hurt you a lot. And your strength of schedule may be a lot harder, and you you know, won your uh, conference championship, but Cincinnati did exactly what we told them to do. So I think you have to reward that. Yeah, again, and also, I, it's, um, it's I, really I think it was the uh, – I think one of the playoff me- – uh, members, again, we're, we're going a little long in this game, but um, one of the playoff members mentioned that one of the criteria that they're going to start using a group of five teams is um, like intent of scheduling. Because, like, again, it's like because these games get scheduled like years in advance, it's not, it's not, it won't be, it's not um, Cincinnati's fault that Notre Dame isn't quite the powerhouse right now that they typically would be. Uh, despite the fact that they have a good record. It's not their fault. They didn't do anything to deserve that. It's not their fault that after um, an incredible season last last two years, really, from Indiana, all of a sudden Indiana just completely craps the bed this year on their schedule. Like That's not Cincinnati's fault. And they said that they're going to take that into account going forward for group of five teams, and I think they should. I think that it would encourage group of five teams to schedule harder Power Five conference games moving forward. And I think that would be huge for the sport in general if they make that a priority. Absolutely. So, again, we got a lot of thoughts on that game. Spent a little bit longer on that than we meant to. But even so, we'll go ahead and move on to the next one. Xavier, you take over here. Number four, Oklahoma 52, TCU 31. What you got? I'm not going to lie. Lincoln Riley had me scared for a second because I heard some rumors that Spencer Rattler and uh, Caleb Williams was coming down to the wire of who was going to start. And I was like, Lincoln, do not make this mistake. And he made the right decision. He went with Caleb Williams. He was like, I'm going to throw you out there in the fire and we'll see what you do, do against TCU. And Spencer Rattler never saw the field ever again. And I don't think we will ever see him in Oklahoma. Uh, he said Oklahoma. that like it was the ending of like a fairy tale. And it's it's so great to like finally see the Oklahoma team that we've all been like waiting to see. Now defensively, I still think they suck. I don't I don't buy into that Oklahoma defense. Apparently, I, they I have a lot of uh, uh, DBs injured at the moment. Yeah, that's, so that's true. a big problem. But even right still, now. your run your rush defense is terrible. I'm gonna be honest. I think it's one of the worst I've I've seen in terms of like the top ten. But that's neither here nor there. That's and that's I'm just saying that in terms of like going ahead into the playoffs, you will probably get exposed by some teams that have really good running backs and can run the football. But I think what Caleb Williams has shown, and he's given like Oklahoma a lot more respect in terms of, you know, I was kind of rooting for Oklahoma to lose because I was not impressed in those first three weeks of like, you don't look like a top four team. And then the AP poll got it right by lowering them down to six and they had them at six for a while. And then you beat Texas and then you kind of gained some uh, momentum to get back in the top five, top four. And after this went over TCU with Caleb Williams, it looked like a completely different program. Caleb Williams, 
now I, I do have some thoughts on like that game. Now I think, you know, it is to note that he is a freshman and he is still learning, but you know, he still has a cannon for arm. I think he has a high football IQ. He rushed a little bit. He, he was using his legs a little bit less, but his arm is still that immaculate to where he can just hit, make the right throws. Jaden Hasselwood looks re, like revived in terms of like his number one or two uh, wide receiver ranking from uh, high school that he had two years ago. Marvin Mims is still, you know, a great receiver. Just a lot of that offense is just basically feeling good about their chances of, you know, being a dominant team and winning the Big 12. I, I, I just find it hard to where Spencer Rattler, you, you blew your shot. You, you were coming as the Heisman favorite, and you just didn't live up to those uh, expectations. You actually underperformed to where now you're a bench player. And I, in all honesty, I, I really think that he should transfer because there's no, there's no way. There's, it would it would take there's only one possible way and I would not wish that upon that because it's gonna they're gonna need Caleb Williams is that it's only barring injury if Caleb Williams is injured then you have to throw out Spencer Rattler because there's no other guy behind him so I mean overall with this game I saw a lot of good things from Caleb Williams I saw a few like you know things that I could tweak if I were like all right he's not there yet but if this is like him you know his first game starting the all of college football better watch out because he's gonna be a Heisman candidate one day. I yeah, mean, there was like a few like underthrown balls and things like that, but receivers are still able to make those catches and they were wide open. So overall, I mean, I speak on the TCU side, Max Duggan was running for his life. He still put up a great day of four touchdowns. Um, I'm surprised he did that, you know, coming from behind and Quentin Johnson looks, you know, revived as well too. So, I mean, overall, they didn't have Zach Evans. So that's a little bit of context to that. The rush, uh, the run game, Kendra Miller didn't have the greatest of days that I was expecting, but it was against Oklahoma, a little bit tougher team. But, yeah, the, overall, it was a good game to watch. So wait, I was I'm confused. Does Williams Oklahoma have a good defense, a good rushing defense or a bad rushing defense? No, they still have a bad one. I mean, I, they still allowed for, like, 183 yards rushing from TCU, which didn't have their premier running back. So I was like, yeah. Uh, okay. you know, I'm still a little bit idea. annoyed with what they have. Uh, yeah, you pretty much touched on almost everything I was going to touch on. I was going to basically just cover four guys in this game. Obviously, Caleb Williams. Um the Oklahoma quarterback we've been waiting for just in terms of fantasy. Um, dude put up the monster, monster day yesterday. I believe he was the highest scoring quarterback of the weekend. Yep. So, yeah. Um, if you haven't gotten Caleb Williams and for some friggin' reason he's still available on your waiver Rush. wire, um, get, get him now. Um, Kenny Brooks had another good day. Uh, 20 oh, carries yeah, for 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the Eric Gray dream, as for right now, is dead. Yep. Uh, he only had about six carries in this game and just did not do much with them. So Kenny wrong. Brooks looks like the major guy going forward. Uh, we touched, you touched on Quentin Johnson. Uh, man, that TCU offense looks so different when uh, Max Duggan has a true receiver to throw to. So I'm really happy to see that revived. And like you said, Max Duggan, pretty good day, 20 for 30, 346 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, I think he had a pretty... I, I think he's pretty much the unsung hero of yesterday's game. Everybody's focused on... Uh, Caleb Williams, but Max Duggan actually threw for more yards. So, yeah. even so. I, I have to apologize about Kendra Miller. He actually did have a good day. I was only looking at his rushing numbers. He caught, uh, you know, some passes and got a touchdown. So, he had four receptions for 56 yards and rushed for 55. So, Very overall, nice. a good day. I was still right about him. I was like, I think he is a great number two running back with Zach Evans out. And when mm-hmm. Zach Evans does come back, TCU will be a, complete, uh, a more complete team. All right. Move on to our next game. Uh, Alabama, number five Alabama, 49. Mississippi State, nine. 
Nothing to see here, just Bama taking yep. out some frustrations. And yeah, that's uh, awesome let's, mo- let's move on to the next game. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, for real, do you have anything you want to say about this game? Or? Not at all. I, I think, you know, Alabama clicked on all cylinders. Bryce Young looked a lot better in this game. Uh, Mississippi State had no chance. Um, John Mechie had a, a great game. You know, a lot of people gave up on him. Um, you know, I, I think this was a good bounce back game for him. So it's going to be interesting to see how he looks going forward. Jamison Williams is still one of the better receivers. I'm still not ready to give up that number wide receiver number one to Jamison. I th- I still think it's Mechie. I still I still have hope that it's Mechie, and I still believe that. We will we will definitely see again. I think if you were expecting anything less than perfection from Bama on this game, with the way Saban was probably about to tear into every single one of them, I don't know what to tell you. And it seemed like they didn't get it to where Saban was still like blowing up at his players and his defense. So, yeah, I I, I think that Texas A and M loss definitely hurt Saban in a in some kind of way. Yeah. We'll move on to our next game here. Xavier, I'll let you start off with this one. Number thirteen, Ole Miss, thirty-one, Tennessee, twenty-six. I All better right. let you start because I will blow a gasket with this one. Yeah, I, I will say this. Um, you know, there was a lot of hype around this game, and I think the hype was directed in a different way. The over-under for this game was 80 points. Um, I thought that was a bit too extreme. Uh, you know, Jared on this on the podcast uh for the preview last week, he said, start everybody. And I was like, I was a little bit hesitant. I was like, I, I think pretty well. Almost- uh they did uh, you know, there was a few pieces on that offense that did pretty well. I I will I will concede to that. But I did have that hesitation that, like, Ole Miss defense will, you know, do enough to slow them down to where as high scoring as they were. And he only put up 26 points, but Hendon Hooker still had a great day. Uh, I think he still had 30 points in that game, you know, even with uh, him going out in the fourth quarter on that last play, which sucked because I would have loved to see him and what he would have uh, possibly done, see if they could have got that upset. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the game started off slow, though. It started off real – I mean, Ole Miss went up with all lead. It was, like, 14-0. to Then – uh. Tennessee started to like, you know, come along and then it was 14 7, 21. So then it, it just slowly, I was like, all right, maybe this maybe could be an interesting game, but I don't see it hitting the 80 over uh, for the uh, over under at all, mm-hmm. but what the game was looking like. But I was thoroughly impressed with Tennessee. Tennessee has far exceeded my expectations. I, I'm not going to say that the Hupel has revitalized that team just yet. There's still things that I do not like for Tennessee, obviously. I mean, the offense, it, it has a good foundation, I will say for now. I don't think Hendon Hooker is the long-term answer. I think this was a short-term, quick solution for the season. Um, they will have to recruit a better quarterback because Joe Milton is not the answer. They don't obviously trust Harrison Bailey, but you have a good, good foundation of receivers and running backs that you can start off as your base. So then after that, you just focus on the defense and you'll be fine. Old Miss, probably the – one of the worst games I've seen them play all season. And if I'm being honest, it took a while for them to get kind of a little, uh, a little jump started. I think that's because they're missing a lot of players. They missed a lot of players on the O-line and at wide receiver. So, I mean, I can't truly fault Ole Miss for that. But, you know, with the Heisman quarterback, I'm expecting a little bit better. But Matt Corral still at the end of the day, still had a good day. So that's all. And, I mean, we can get to the end of the uh, – we could talk about the call at the end. Tennessee fans, you know that spot was, you know, it it was a good spot by the rest. He didn't get the first down, so you didn't deserve that. Your fans, yeah, for all the backlash that your fans got, it was absolutely deserved. You 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 don't you don't do that to an opposing team or your own team for that fact. The band and the cheerleaders having to leave, you being arrested and escorted out, 
that was probably one of the most shameful moments in college football. Like it was exciting for me as an entertainment like viewer and watcher of like how terrible a fan face could be. But as a football purist and, you know, has, you know, respect for the game and teams and players, that was just you know, a bad, a bad showing. Again, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll say the caveat here. Obviously it's not the entire Tennessee fan base. There are plenty of people out there that were ashamed of what the student section, many other different sections of that. Uh, I believe it was the South end zone really where it got bad. Um, so obviously I'm not going to direct this towards the entire Tennessee fan base. I got friends who are Tennessee fans. I got um, good fantasy analyst, Matt Hicks. He's a Tennessee fan. Obviously he didn't, he did not condone anything that went on yesterday. Um, how do, how do I talk about this without blowing a gasket? Because I was willing to, like, again, I understand, like, in the moment, things can get out of hand so quickly. And I understand that things just um, can get, I guess, they can get out of control. Emotions run wild, mob mentality, all that good jazz. Really what made me more and more angry was just getting on Twitter the next day. And, like, or just, or really just, um, really more than anything, just listening to Tennessee media and stuff like that. And the amount of people that were just straight up excusing this crap because of the poor officiating and the fake injuries going on in the game. And yes, those were things that were going on. Fake injuries are a problem in college football, and they're absolutely something that needs to be addressed in the upcoming years. I am not going to take that away from you. The SEC officiating was once again horrible. There were a lot of bad calls in that game. I don't think that last spot was, but there was plenty of other bad calls throughout the game when I watched it. Don't get me wrong. But you know who else had terrible officiating in their games? Arkansas Auburn. Do you know who else had terrible officiating in their home stadium? Georgia, Kentucky. Guess what? You didn't see the fan bases blow a gasket in that game and absolutely just clown themselves with the crap they pulled. Again, there's just no excuse for this. Like Again, so many people will sit there and talk about how, like, oh, if the referee just wasn't so bad, this never would have happened. It should never have happened in the first place, regardless of how bad it got. Like, my God. Do you listen to yourselves? If it was any other fan base in the world, you would be right there with everybody else talking about how embarrassing this is for the sport in general. I need to take a breath. It, all that to say, did Harrison Bailey die? Because I really question the idea of putting Joe Milton in ahead of him. And I need to see those practices. Because Harrison Bailey must look like awful in those practices. Big transition there. I was just dumb talking about it. I said my piece. Uh, and so I just want to know. What happened to Harrison Bailey? And where does he transfer to? Because I bet he's going to do a lot better there. Fresno State. I saw that as a mention. I was like, that's oh, that would I would love that, actually. All right. Let's move on to our final game here. We're going a little bit long here. But that's fine. I didn't uh, watch this game, so you could talk about it all you want. <laughs> I'm going to say this one real quick. Um, I put this one on here because I'll be honest, I just felt like congratulating NC State because this was a lot bigger of a win than I was expecting them to be. I thought this was going to be another one of these games where it's ACC, you have no clue who's going to win it at the end of the day. And NC State thoroughly dominated Boston College, especially on defense. Their offense uh, took care of business when they needed to. NC State looks like a legitimate top 25 team, and they honestly look like they could win the Atlantic Division in the ACC because they got the win over Clemson. Uh, They're beating everybody else on their schedule pretty convincingly so far. So ACC Championship, NC State. They still got to play Wake Forest down the line, I believe. So that'll be a great game. But I just want to congratulate NC State because that's a a big win right there. Yep. 
Even still, we went a little long today, but you know there's a lot to cover every single week, so I appreciate y'all sticking around with us. As always, please make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. He is at CFF underscore Xavier. Follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave those reviews where you can. We love reading that. We love you guys when you uh, write stuff down in the comments. We love hearing you guys on Twitter. Suggestions for the show, anything you want to hear, questions, we'll all we'll all listen to it, and we'll all try to do our best to give you the best answers. Uh, last but not least, make sure you're subscribed on our YouTube channel. We'll give our video product there. Uh, lots of good stuff coming y'all's way. We are very excited about it. Xavier, you got anything else you want to say before we head out? Uh, nope. Look forward to our week uh, eight preview. I think we're, we're on week eight. Wow. So, yeah, yeah I know, look right? Forward to that. So, yeah, we got, we got that coming up. We got King's Classic stuff coming up. Um, schedule might be a little weird this week. We, um, uh, we felt a little bit behind with some stuff, but it's all right. We'll get those products out to you guys as well. Regardless, thank you guys so much for listening and have a wonderful day.